When asked why God created humanity, an ancient rabbi answered, because God loves stories. Let's tell some stories. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Season 3 of Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. To begin this new season of Torah for Christians, I thought we should start with something light and fun. Jews have a long and glorious tradition of storytelling. We can even say that the Bible is the first and greatest collection of Jewish stories ever. The Talmud and Midrash are replete with stories and folktales. The very purpose of Midrash is to create an archive of great Jewish stories. Medieval folktales and modern stories only add to this giant collection, making for an unlimited supply of enjoyment and learning from stories that come literally from around the world. Of course, we Jews are not the only ones who like to tell stories. The entire body of Christian scripture, which you might call the New Testament, is a collection of stories about Jesus and his followers. Stories abound about the church fathers, early saints, such as St. Valentine and St. Patrick. Stories of popes, Calvinists, pilgrims, Puritans, and even modern religious leaders such as Mother Teresa or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Islam is full of stories about Muhammad, as well as other great stories found in the Quran, Hadith, and elsewhere. And we all know that in the Eastern religious traditions, we read and hear stories about Buddha, Confucius, Lao Tzu, and many others. But what makes a Jewish story Jewish? Aside from the languages in which the story is told, such as Yiddish or Ladino, there are specific aspects of structure and purpose that set Jewish stories apart, which we will discuss. But don't fret, we'll also tell a few stories along the way. The earliest layer of post-biblical Jewish storytelling is Midrash. The purpose of Midrash, as we learned in season one, is to use storytelling to fill in the gaps in the Hebrew Bible. Here is but one brief example. After the Egyptians drowned in the Sea of Reeds, the angels broke out in song. God rebuked the angels, saying, My children are drowning, and you would sing songs in my presence? This extremely short story teaches a great lesson, that we should not exult over the death of our enemies, but rather that they turn and worship the one true God. There is no joy in death, no matter who dies. Now, if I had just said that we should not rejoice at the death of our enemies, you probably would have replied, of course, Rabbi, that makes sense. But as a story, it is much more powerful. The mere fact that thousands of Jews can tell this short story testifies to its inherent power and its ability to teach this lesson far more effectively than if I had just lectured about it or given you another podcast. Another genre involves the idea of Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name. These are stories about martyrs throughout Jewish history, from the destruction of the Second Temple to the Holocaust, 
to those in Pittsburgh killed by white supremacists while they were standing in prayer just a few years ago. Sadly, there are too many stories to tell. But one story does stand out. In about 126 of the Common Era, the Roman Emperor Hadrian decreed that Jewish learning in the land of Israel was forbidden because of the abortive Bar Kokhba revolt. Rabbi Akiva had declared Shimon Bar Kokhba the Messiah. Of course, the revolt failed miserably. The Jews were exiled from Jerusalem, and the holy city was leveled. Its ground was salted to make it uninhabitable. This was the virtual end of Jewish settlement in Jerusalem for hundreds of years. But that's not the end of the story. Rabbi Akiva continued to teach his students in defiance of Hadrian's edict. When the Romans finally came for him, Akiva was sentenced to death. When Rabbi Akiva was about to be executed, it was the hour for the recital of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God, Adonai alone, from Deuteronomy, a prayer we recite three times a day. The executioners were combing his body with iron combs while he was making himself ready to accept the yoke of heaven. His students asked, Our teacher, even now? Akiva replied, All my days I have been troubled by the verse which follows the Shema with all thy soul, which I have interpreted as meaning, even if God takes your soul. But I did not know how I could fulfill this verse. Now that I have the opportunity, shall I not fulfill it? As he was reciting the Shema, Rabbi Akiva prolonged the final word, echad, meaning one, until he died. Here's the upshot, though, the power of this story. At this time, a divine voice, a bat kol, went forth and said, Happy are you, Akiva, that your soul has departed with the word echad. Happy are you, Rabbi Akiva, for you are destined for the world to come. What does this mean? Martyrs gain immediate entrance into heaven. There is no greater act than giving one's life for God. Jews and Christians alike can relate to this story. In a moment, we are going to look at the structure of a Jewish story, which is quite different from what you might expect. To explain this, we will tell one of the most famous stories in all of Hasidic literature, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we return to our discussion of Jewish storytelling, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, Facebook, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not done so already. And if you would like to read my weekly Torah study, please go to Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School, available for free on www.substack.com. In a typical non-Jewish-oriented story that you might read, hear, or see today, there is a definite pattern. 
there's a protagonist, the good guy, who fights the bad guy, the antagonist. The protagonist will always defeat evil or, in some stories, convince the bad guy to turn to good. We have the setup, the turn, the return to grace, and then salvation, or as I call it, the Jesus story, type one. Let me explain that idea with one of the most famous stories of all time, Star Wars. Luke Skywalker is the paradigmatic good guy who discovers after the deaths of the aunt and uncle who raised him that he has hidden and awesome powers, called, as you know, the Force. His antagonist is the epitome of evil, the fearsome Darth Vader, master of the dark side, the evil side of the Force, whose job is to kill Luke, lest the Force leads the rebels to destroy the evil empire. As we get deeper into the story, Darth Vader confronts Luke prior to an epic battle and tells him, Luke, I am your father. This, of course, disorients Luke, and while he survives the battle, he loses a hand in the process. But at the end of the story, in The Return of the Jedi, Luke pulls Vader back from the dark side. In their ultimate battle, Vader realizes that his love for Luke is greater than his devotion to the evil empire. He allows Luke to kill him in an act of grace. Then, in love, Luke cremates his father in a ritual ceremony. Here we see the typical setup, good versus evil. Then we have the turn, when Vader discovers that he is Luke's father and starts to show love for the young Jedi Knight. Finally, through his death, he achieves salvation. Salvation through death. It sounds a lot like Jesus. The other great Christian theme in modern literature is death and resurrection. Jesus type two. This could mean that a person's ideas live on after death, or sometimes it means a literal resurrection. For this example, we need to look no further than the movie E.T., the extraterrestrial. Towards the end of the movie, E.T. dies. But through an act of love, his young friend Elliot resurrects E.T. We see his red light come back on, the plants come back to life, and all is well. E.T. survives, Elliot survives, and E.T. finally goes back home. In other words, we have witnessed a resurrection. In the Christian storytelling tradition, which we see in countless books, movies, plays, and even songs, everyone lives happily ever after. Not so in Jewish storytelling. In this genre, there may not be any character development or even an ending. We are often left with more questions than answers. In Jewish stories, we do not always live happily ever after. With this in mind, let's tell the story of the Rooster Prince, one of my favorite Hasidic stories. The Rooster Prince was told originally by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, one of the greatest and most enigmatic of the early Hasidic masters. It goes like this. One time a king had a great kingdom. His subjects loved him. He was a just man, a fair man, a good man. And the king had a son whom everyone knew and loved. And they knew as well that this young man would one day become a great king. Until one day, 
that young man decided that he would not sit at the king's table anymore. For some reason, he took off all his clothes, got down under the table, and started pecking at the crumbs that the nobleman dropped on the floor. When the king asked his son what he was doing, he said, Prince, why are you acting this way? And the prince replied, I am not a prince, my lord. I am a rooster. And roosters peck on the ground. Why are you not wearing clothes, my son? My lord, I am a rooster. Roosters do not wear clothes. Why are you not sitting on a chair? Because, my lord, roosters do not sit on chairs. They walk on the ground. Well, needless to say, the king was quite perturbed and upset by this turn of events. And so he called in his greatest noblemen, his doctors, his physicians, his soothsayers, and they all attempted to change the rooster prince, but to no avail. He still thought of himself as a rooster sitting naked under the table, pecking at the crumbs that were dropped on the floor. One day, though, an itinerant rabbi came through the town, and the king, not knowing what else to do, summoned this rabbi and said, Rabbi, if you can help and cure my son, I will give you 100 rubles and make you a nobleman in my court. The rabbi, being destitute and poor, said, Well, my lord, I cannot promise anything, but I certainly will try. So the rabbi came and looked at the rooster prince, sitting there naked, pecking at the crumbs on the floor, and thought, maybe I can help him, maybe I can't, but it's worth a try. And so the rabbi took off all his clothes, and he got down on his hands and knees and started pecking at the crumbs at the floor. At this point, the king and his noblemen were astounded. He said, one rooster is bad enough, but now we have two? What is going on here? But the rabbi looked at them and said, Shah, be still. And so they were. Well, the rooster prince, after a time, looked at his new companion and said to the rabbi, are you a rooster? To which the rabbi replied, yes, I have come to join you. Let us keep pecking at the crumbs on the floor. And so they did. And after a time, the rabbi said, you may be a rooster and I may be a rooster, but did you know that it is okay if roosters can wear clothes? And to which the young prince said, but I am a rooster. The rabbi replied, you will still be a rooster if you wear clothes. And so grudgingly, the young prince, who thought he was a rooster, put on clothes, as did the rabbi. Sometime more had passed, and the rabbi said to the rooster prince, you know, roosters don't have to stay on the floor. They can sit at a table. To which the rooster prince said, I am already clothed, but how can I sit on a, at a table? I am a rooster. To which the rabbi replied, let me show you. And the rabbi got out from under the table and sat clothed at a chair. At which point the rooster prince said, 
well, if this rooster can do it, so can I. And he sat at the table. And finally, the rabbi said, did you know that roosters can eat human food with knives and forks? To which the rooster prince replied, no, I am a rooster. I peck at my food with my mouth. And the rabbi said, yes, you may do that, but you can also do this. And the rabbi started to show him how to eat like a proper person, to which the rooster prince said, well, if this rooster can do it, so can I. Now, this took some time, and the king was astounded. And the king said to the rabbi, I give you the money I promised you. I make you a noble of my, of my kingdom. To which the rabbi replied, thank you so much, but it is only for the good that I do this. And your son, while he is your prince again, is also still a rooster. Please consider him that way, because the prince in his heart always knew that he was a rooster as well. What did you notice? Did you notice that there is no happy ending? He still thought of himself as a rooster. He was pretending to be a human being. He was pretending to be a prince. There really is no ending here. He still thinks he's a rooster. He is not cured as he would be in a Christian-oriented study. He's not taking any drugs. He's not had any medicine. He does not consider himself human again. We are left wondering if he ever changes or what happens when he becomes king. The story is actually pretty sad and difficult to digest. There are multiple levels to it and really no overriding theme. Is it a story about mental illness? Is, is it a story about teaching, beginning with people, taking the people where they are and leading them to where you may want to be? Is it a story about stress? It is a story about kingly rule. Yes, 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 and no, no, no. All of these come into play. This prototypical Jewish story has no turn, no grace, no salvation, certainly no resurrection. He still thinks of himself as a rooster. Well, why not? Why is there no turn? Because those are Christian concepts. While many contemporary Jewish stories do indeed follow the Christian tradition, traditional and many modern Jewish stories do not. In Jewish stories, people and roosters do not live happily ever after. Maybe this is due to our history, but it is certainly a way to recognize the difference between Jewish and non-Jewish stories. There is no grace. There is no salvation. I would be remiss if I did not talk about one more famous Jewish story, Fiddler on the Roof. The musical is based on the short story collection, Tevya the Dairyman, written by the Yiddish author Sholem Aleichem, a contemporary and acquaintance of Mark Twain. Tevya, the protagonist, is a destitute milkman living in an Eastern European village called a shtetl. He marries off three of his daughters, survives a pogrom, and at the end of the story is forced to emigrate to America. So far, it's a typical story of Russian Jewish immigration to America at the beginning of the 20th century. It talks about life in the shtetl in Eastern Europe and the travails that Jews confronted 
while living under Polish or Russian or Ukrainian rule. But what characterizes Tevya is his boundless devotion to God. Tevya carries on an endless conversation with the Almighty, asking why he is poor, why one daughter leaves for Siberia to be with her imprisoned Bolshevik husband, why another daughter leaves the faith to marry a non-Jew, and finally, why he must leave his home for America. But he never changes. He never doubts his faith, nor does he adapt to new realities. The world is rapidly changing around him, but he remains the same. There is no redemption, just new stories that test him, but do not change him. In short, Tevye is the same at the end of the story as he was at the beginning. Perhaps this is to his credit, but it jars us when we compare this story to other musicals where the characters find romance, triumph, or even salvation. Fiddler on the Roof is then the quintessential Jewish story. No salvation, no resurrection, no happy endings. We are left to speculate what comes next. That, my friends, is Judaism in a nutshell. We have not yet been saved. The Messiah is yet to come. We can only do our best to live as God desires, trust in the Almighty to redeem us and the world at a time of God's choosing. In the meantime, we just carry on. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please remember to rate and review this and previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other streaming services. You can also like and hear us on Facebook. Next week, we will discuss an upcoming Jewish holiday, Tu B'Shvat, the New Year for Trees. It's one of four Jewish New Years on our calendar. If that confuses you, Listen to next week's podcast when I explain everything. Finally, I've begun to publish a weekly Torah study called Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School. It's available for free on www.substack.com. You can also sign up on Substack for the newsletter to appear every Friday in your inbox. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Ine Matovu Menaim, Shevet Achim Gam Yachad. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to live together as one. Lehitraot, till we meet again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Mm-hmm.